coming to you from the lab, where we talk about guns, gear, training, and everything in between. Riding Shotgun is my co-host, Big Keith. I'm your host, Mike, and this is The Gun Experiment. How's everybody doing? Welcome to The Gun Experiment. This week, Keith and I talk with the owner of Coltac Outdoor Gear, discuss guns for dummies, and become A-listers for the night. I just want to remind everyone that we drop new episodes on the second and fourth Tuesday of every month, so be sure to subscribe and share the show with friends. We'll make sure to have a link in the show notes. If you like the content we're creating, we'd appreciate it if you head over to Apple Podcasts and leave us a five-star review, as well as a comment. And of course, as always, we'll read any comments anyone leaves in future episodes. And without further ado, as always, by my side is the big man, Big Keith. How you doing, buddy? Doing good, Mike. Always a pleasure to be here talking with cool people. Yeah, man. I, uh, I'm i excited because uh, I feel like in our last show, we talked about long-range shooting, and I think tonight's show is going to kind of complement that show a little bit. So I think it's uh, a nice little carryover show, so to speak. Didn't plan it that way, but it worked out that way, which is great. It's funny. Yeah, the last few shows, we've uh, we've like put together these little pockets of... Uh, um, similar type shows, you know, two or three at a time. And, uh, I like, like we were talking a little bit about it. I don't think you, you planned it that way, but it just sort of worked out that way. Yeah. Sometimes things stars just align, you know? So I, uh, I wanted to share a very cool little, uh, piece of information with you. So I was looking at, uh, just like stats and data and like how the show's doing and like what people are liking and not liking and things like that. And we officially have had somebody listen to our show in every state in the country, with the exception of Delaware, Maine, West Virginia, Louisiana, and Alaska. So to the people in those states, they need to step up their game. I was going to say, I think, I feel like we could maybe knock a couple of those off. We got to know somebody in some of those states. Yeah, really. Can we bribe them? Can we send them some money or something? (laughs) I don't know. I don't know. But all I know is that, uh, like you always say, it feels good to get that little pat on the back. So I'm going to use this as my motivation. It's my pat on the back. And I feel pretty, uh, pretty happy today. No, that's amazing. I, uh, you know, when you, when you share some of that info with me, you know, I, I don't know, call me naive or whatever, but I just don't think that it's just crazy to think that, 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 that people just like find our podcast and yeah, just listen to us ramble about crazy stuff. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely cool. Definitely cool. So anyway, without uh, going too far down the rabbit hole, I want to get our guest in here. So our guest tonight runs a tactical accessory manufacturing company. They're dedicated to creating the toughest gear for shooting enthusiasts and agencies demanding perfection from their equipment. Please welcome Dustin Coleman from Coltac. Dustin, how are you doing tonight? Outstanding. Thanks for having me. This is going to be fun. Thanks oh, for man. coming. Yeah, we're excited. We're really excited. Like I said, we just had a couple uh, instructors from like a long range school and, and I can't wait to talk about some of the gear that you guys have. And awesome. after and after hearing Mike talk about how well the show's doing, how could you not want to be here, right, Dustin? <laughs> exactly. I mean, I I will say I'm disappointed with uh, our the people to the east of us there in Maine. You know, there's there's a lot of good gun guys up there, and you know, for them not to have listened to the show, I think is is disappointing. So I'm gonna have to call some up and. I was gonna say nice. you might have to might have to send a link. Yep. Yeah. Nice. We'll make it happen. So Dustin, uh, let's start off. Uh, let's do a little blast from the past here. Uh, you were in the Air Force uh, where you maintained in-flight weapon systems. So first off, I would like to thank you very much for your service. Oh, my, my pleasure. Thank you. Yeah. I mean, anytime we have someone that served, you know, uh, I never served, Keith never served, but uh, I'm a, 
I'm a big backer, you know, and, and for you to do that, it, it means a lot to everyone out there listening, I'm sure. So thank you again. Um, so how did you enjoy working on guns all day? Like, was that like a dream job for you or did you get thrown into the mix? How did that happen? And how was it? it? Yeah, no, it was, uh, it was definitely a dream, a dream job for me. I grew up, uh, you know, in rural Wisconsin and, you know, it was hunting culture, you know, the it's when I, ever since I was a little kid, you know, I, I would be able to go out with my dad deer hunting and and in Wisconsin, it's a nine day window that basically the state shuts down for. Um, so, uh, it's, it's a good time and, you know, and you couldn't, I couldn't wait until I turned 12 so I could actually carry my own rifle, you know? And so like growing up with that kind of, you know, but it was mainly, it was all just the hunting side of it, you know? And then, but I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. And then, uh, yeah. And then was able to, um, move into that career field in, in the air force and, um, you know, was able to, to work on some really cool, uh, weapon systems there. Um, and then after I got out, you know, it was, uh, my wife and I were talking about, you know, what I, what I would love to do. And it was, I still want to, you know, mess around with firearms. I still want to be, be involved with it. So, you know, went back to school, got, got my, uh, engineering degree and, I uh, had a job uh, with uh, a plastics company making some, you know, it was, they make a whole bunch of commercial products, but it was every once in a while I could touch a firearm product and, you know, have my influence there. Uh, and then I had the opportunity uh, to go work for, for Ruger firearms. So I'm going to stop you really quick yeah. for one second, because I know that Keith, Keith uh, loves planes. So yeah, I know he's going to have yeah. Yeah. So I, I had to, I, I didn't want you to get too far into the Ruger before I asked what was the coolest Air Force plane you'd flown on. Well, so I was on the uh, uh, MH-53 Pavlo. Okay. Um, so, I mean, that is the coolest aircraft. <laughs> it, it no longer exists in the Air Force fleet, but... Um, yeah, that was retired, uh, well, goodness, what year was that? 2007 yeah ish i was gonna say i thought a little later yeah you, you would know better than me yeah so all right so uh let me just back up for a second so you leave the air force and you get a degree in engineering from i believe university of wisconsin stout correct no and big deal right dustin you just like filled out some paperwork and bam degree in engineering <laughs> wow and i will say not i you know i i generally don't like to toot my own horn but you know when i when i went into college i went in with two kids and worked full time at nights, twelve hour twelve hour shifts at night, and got a engineering degree all in four years, and came out with four kids. So you know, uh, like wow, uh, yeah. So um, you know, it was definitely a wild four God, years. God bless your wife. Yeah, really. Yeah, no, it was. Uh, she is a she is a saint, and uh, I don't know how she does it. So are you a cheesehead? You must be, right? Oh, of course. Yeah. What else is there in this world? Cheese curds. That's all. That's what right? you live on, right? Yeah. Yeah. So um, we can't get good cheese curds where we live. It's oh. like it's a rare thing around well, here. Well, and yeah. and people really, uh, you know, unless you've had it, squeaky cheese curds. Yeah, it's a real thing. <laughs> I know. You, yeah. And if you haven't had it in your life, you have not lived. When you get that fresh, warm cheese curd that's just been, you know, just scooped out, and it squeaks in your teeth, it's like there's nothing else like it. And uh, yeah, I haven't had that honestly in years because it's just it's in Wisconsin, and I have never been able to find it outside of it. Yeah, you know, it's I mean, funny even is- if they sent it to you, you'd never get them that warm. But uh, exactly, you know, it's funny, Dustin is Keith and I, you know, in the 
process of doing this show, I mean, we've met people from all over. I mean, all over the country at this point. And um, we keep saying, like, we want to go on, like, road trips and, like, meet these people and go to yeah. these places because it's so – you just meet such interesting people, you know? Right. And um, speaking of that, so uh, you mentioned Ruger. And I right. really wanted – this is, like, one probably my – the one <laughs> thing I want to talk about the most. So Yep. Uh, you were at Ruger again. We talked to long range guys last week, and part of why that was such a big deal for me is I have never done long range, but I really want to ring steel at at least a thousand yards. But I'd love to go out to a mile. So down the road, a Ruger Precision is probably something that I'm going to buy at some point yeah. in my life. And I'm curious what projects you worked at at Ruger, and you know what you were involved in, and right. you know how that how that was for you. Right. So. Um yeah, Ruger was like a dream job for me. I was super excited to get out there. Um, and I had some some minor dealings with the uh, precision, the Ruger precision rifle in its beginnings. Um, and, you know, as that team developed into a full-fledged uh, design team, I, I got uh, put in charge of uh, the Ruger American rifle line. Uh, and I did a lot with that. Uh, and a lot of the derivatives. So, uh, you know, all of the developing the, the uh, testing, developing, designing the process for uh, the stainless steel, the left hand model, the Magnum model, um, you know, the 450 Bushmaster and, and um, a lot of those, you know, did, you, did you do any work on the 1022? Mike and I are big fans of those. So, uh, you know, I did some, I did some testing with them when we were working on some other stuff. Um, I, I really, you know, that's such a pro that, that product has been pretty well set for the last yep. sure. 40 years that, yeah. um, so it's, it's like a Porsche. Yeah. yeah. And, um, I mean, but I, oh, I'm a huge fan. And I mean, what I think is really neat is, you know, the, uh, just seeing that production line run at yeah, the I, rates that it runs at it's it's you know if people knew how fast those things were moving their their heads would spin why are why is there a gun shortage then what what is honestly i don't know where they all go I, you know and i haven't been there i've been there for years now but you know during the the craze uh you know the gun crunch the last gun crunch 2013 2014 there were so many going out the door and i mean the numbers would make people's heads spin and and they were gone it's not like they were is, going in a warehouse they were gone is it on a dial? Like, can they literally dial up production and dial down production? I, I you know, I think they, they wish it's that. It's probably quality control, right? Part of it's got to be that. They got to make sure quality control yeah. is met, right. I would think. Well, and yeah. And I mean, and anytime you start getting into big production lines like that, just like the supply chain trying to keep up with that. Yeah. Because, yeah. I mean, just like raw metal, the amount of, the amount of steel that goes into supplying the 1022 barrel system like is phenomenal phenomenal and mm -hmm. and so when you start you know it, it's not as easy just to dial up and down when you're dealing with right. numbers like that because you have to start so far back um you know what's funny dustin is <clears throat> so when i was first got into guns I, I mean i had guns when i was like a teenager like hunting rifles kind of like you had said and then when i was like in high school like um it's the era of gangster rap and the Glock, the Glock was really popular. Yep. And, you know, of course the Tech 92, nine. yeah, the bread of 92 FS was like in all the movies. Right. Yep. So like you had these like kind of companies that I like growing up was like, these are the companies like you know, you got to get yourself a Glock. You got to get yourself, you know, an AR that was like a popular rifle, obviously. 
But Ruger was sort of off my radar. Yeah. And now looking at Ruger, I mean, they have the 1022 in their lineup. They have the Ruger Precision. They have the PC Carbine. Carbine. Like, they have these rifles that I would almost say are like, you almost like want one of them in your collection. Like, they're all like collectible, like your kids will enjoy them kind of right. guy. Where did that come from? Because I feel like it wasn't always that. You know, obviously there's the Mark, the Mark series, like the pistols. Right. But- you know, I, I don't know. And I, you know, what's the old Ruger, uh, you know, when, when there was actually a Ruger working in the company still, you know, it took a lot of flack for some of their stances uh, with the assault weapons ban. So it's, it's kind of weird to look back and say, well, they were still making, you know, the mini 14 for this long and they were making the 1022 forever. And, you know, where, you know, as, as Ruger has developed past that, um, you know, they've really done a good job of paying attention to, you know, voices of the customer. They'll, they sit down and are constantly, um, you know, listening to customers and, and trying to see what the next, you know, new thing that, that they should develop and, and they do a good job. And when you have a, uh, you know, a, a company like that with the kind of resources they do, you know, sometimes it takes a little bit to get them going in the right direction, but once they start going, boy, they're unstoppable. And, you know, kind of going back to what you were saying, you know, in my, my, cousin i was always jealous of him when i was a little kid because i you know i bought i had a marlin bolt action 22 because my dad wouldn't let me get a 10 22 because it was semi-auto and how he knew i would just waste ammo so i you know i had this bolt action with and it had you know a seven round mag and i thought oh man this is awesome and then i get with my cousin and he had this 10 22 and he'd just be rattling off you know at the time i think they they only had the 10 round mags but he was you know ripping them off and i'm like oh man i just wish i had one of them and uh you know it's kind of funny to to think back at that time when you know i i was idolizing uh you know the the rifle and then was able to you know help build one help build one help be you know in the same in in the presence of of that kind of system are you out of the circle of trust at ruger or do you still get your hands on some r&d uh i'm i am out of that circle of trust um you know i'm still in the in the same town um Oh really? Um, oh yeah, yeah. So we stayed here. Um, you know, Ruger's two miles from our our shop here. You're in New Hampshire, correct? Yep, yep. And uh, so you know, all my good buddies who were engineers there or workers there, um, you know, we we still talk, we hang out, we shoot together. Um, but Ruger stays pretty tight lipped about a lot of their stuff and they do, do, you know, the big thing there is, uh, being publicly traded. They're really, you know, they, they keep a, a tight ship when it comes to, yeah. I mean, I feel like they have to, they have to, because you're, they're, right. they're kind of, they're trying to develop new and better things and you can't let that kind of stuff get out, which, right. you know, which brings us kind of like you go off on your own now, right? So you're at Ruger and something leads you down the road of Coltac. So right. what made you leave this dream job to go to, to start your own sewing business? Essentially. Well, Dustin well, says, well, when you put it that way, right. <laughs> um, yeah. So no, what it was is, you know, I started getting into suppressed shooting more and more. And I, um, I bought a, a suppressor cover from somebody else just cause I, I needed one, you know, and the first day out, I absolutely destroyed it, uh, and unintentionally. And so when I, you know, I took it to my wife who was really good at sewing. I'm like, Hey, can you fix this? <laughs> she, her, her first question was, well, or she said, there's no way I can fix this. And how much did you spend on it? 
And, <laughs> and when I told her how much I spent on it, she's like, oh my goodness, I can't, I could have made something for, you know, way less. That would have been way better. And that was so, your first mistake, Dustin. You yeah. should have yeah. told her what you I know. Maybe I not. Know. Now look. Yeah. Right. 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 Well, so we sat there and we, you know, tinkered around and built one. And then my buddies at, at Ruger saw it, you know, when we were shooting and they wanted one. And then, so it was, Oh, we'll put up a small website and it's just going to be a side little business for my wife. You know, we can, we were in the spare bedroom and she was, you know, it was a good little side thing. Cause she's good at sewing. And, you know, next thing, you know, we're, we have just the one home, you know, it was a higher end home machine, but it was a home machine on a small table in the spare bedroom. And then slowly, like the room started filling with, you know, Material. more materials, <laughs> more materials. And then we got us, you know, in a, you lose a kid. One. Yeah. Our first real industrial machine went in there and then, you know, and then we have to get another industrial machine. So then we move down to the basement and then we get this big cutting, you know, or we get a table where we can actually lay stuff out and uh. cut. And then it was, you know, it took over our basement and then uh, <laughs> I just love stories like that. That's so cool. Yeah. yeah. And then, you know, uh, it, we, uh, I mean, what was for, the point that you were like, ah, oh, man, we got to get out of this basement. <laughs> right. Well, what happened was, is there was, there was the, the last like three months when I was still at Ruger, uh, I was sitting there and I would go to work at seven in the morning and be there till, you know, five o'clock in the afternoon, run kids around for a couple hours, you know, be home by like eight o'clock where we could sit down and we were sewing, sewing and answering emails and doing all this business stuff till like three or four o'clock in the yep, morning. That's the time. And, and, and yeah. And it was, and we did that for months and months. And oh, all of a sudden I was like, you know, and I was like, you know, I was talking to my wife. I'm like, we got to do something. You know, I'm like, I can't, we're, we're going crazy. You're killing and, you yourselves. Know, well, and what it was, it was, it was getting to the point where three and four was pushing to like five and six. And literally we were just like running out of hours in the day. It wasn't, you know, wow. so, mm-hmm. you know, so it's like, we got to do something. So it's, you know, a left Ruger and, and, you know, we built the garage at the house thinking that we were just going to move all the stuff out there. And by the time we got the garage all set up and moved everything in, you know, <laughs> you needed a way bigger place. <laughs> we, we made it six months in there, six months. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, and, and well, did you grow? Did you grow from like any sort of like was it was, was it marketing? Was it word of mouth? Like yeah, how did you question. grow so fast? It, it was yeah, word of mouth, and you know we've we've just done a I've you know we did a really good job of of you know being being smart when it came to you know not being afraid to invest in, reinvesting in, in, in yourselves right, and and you know we didn't, it, and that was the nice thing too when I was at Ruger, you know we. It, this was all, we didn't need the money to live off of, you know, so it was, we could just keep throwing it back into the business. And, and we did that for, you know, two and a half years. I mean, where we wow. just kept rolling that's, it. And, and that's like, that's like the, that's like the amount of time that you really need to be like that. I, right. you know, I, I deal a lot with, with small business owners. And if you can survive that two year mark and just really live on nothing, Right and put everything back in. You got a good shot, right? And that's and that's really especially what if you was. keep your costs down, right? Like you were working out of your basement. Like if you're keeping yeah, your costs down, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So and then, um, you know, and then so we we made it six months in there, and it was kind of crazy. We we started, and this is what I, I tell my wife this too. This is where I I. I didn't listen to her because we started talking about getting employees and, you know, I'm like, well, they can come to the garage, you know, it's, <laughs> it's not a big deal. And, 
you know, and she's like, I don't, you know, I like our employees, but I, I, I want my own private space. You know, I don't want it to be a community center is what she kept saying. And, and I'm like, oh, it's not going to be that bad. And sure enough, it wasn't, it was that long. bad. <laughs> well, and like, like, you know, we both, you know, love our employees. They're awesome, but it's like, I want a house. I want to be able to separate myself, you know? Yeah. And, there's nothing wrong with that. Right. And, and so, yeah, but, but at the same time we outgrew it, you know, outgrew the garage. So we, we bought a different building and, um, you know, and that grew to the point where, uh, we kept adding more machines, more people and, um, you know, so last. bringing it, bringing it to, you know, current status, uh, you know, I, have you seen as large of an increase in sales as, as the rest of the firearm industry has this year? Um, I don't, I, so I don't know. Um, the growth rate that we're on right now is still like at crazy levels from last year. So I don't know if it's just because, because it's it our, if it's our natural, if it's our natural growth curve or yeah. if, um, you know, if the current situations has played into this. Um, but, uh, you know, we're, we're, we're growing leaps and bounds to the point where, you know, that, that building that we bought is now just our warehouse. Cause we can't, we moved into a, a bigger, a bigger place than that yet. <laughs> do you, do you have any statistics on like any of the sales that you are doing? Are they new gun owners? Do you know? I, so I don't know, you know, and so our biggest item, um, by far, are still suppressor covers to this day. I mean, we do a yep. whole host of other things, but suppressor covers are bread and butter. And generally speaking, if you're into suppressors, you're not, you're brand not a new. new yeah. Yeah. So I think there's a lot of, there's a lot of new suppressor owners. Um, but usually if you're, you know, suppressor ownership, isn't your first step into gun ownership. I would actually say, I actually want to talk about your product line in a second, but I would actually also add that a lot of your other products are for like long range shooting. And right. I don't think that's an initial, you don't just, most people don't no. just go, Oh, well, I'm going to buy a $2,000 setup right. or more you know, and, and go shoot a thousand yards. Like that's not a, no, for the most part is not a normal thing unless someone just really has a, an inkling, you know, like, a, I'm sorry, a, someone has a uh, real like desire to do that, you know? Right. Yep. I would agree. It's um, so, yeah. So I, I don't have any of those statistics, but just my gut feeling and what makes sense to me is, you know, our customers are generally not new to the gun world. Yeah. So, right. so let's talk about your product line a little bit. So, um, we mentioned uh, we had had the guys from Bang Steel in the show. I don't know if you've ever heard of them. Um, they're down in Virginia. Yep. They're, you've heard of them, right? They're, I, um, I've heard of them, yes. Yeah. I haven't met them. I've been, you know, I, I really kind of want to meet them. You got to meet them. They're great, great father son duo. They we really are. Yeah. We had a blast talking with them. We're, that's one of our road trips. We, we're we're, we're going to get there. Yeah, definitely. Right. So, how far so, away yeah. is that for you guys? Uh, based on where they told us they live, it's probably about eight or nine hours from us. Oh, that's not bad. No, nah, yeah. not too bad. Yeah, it's on the it's on the East Coast, which you know we're in New York, so uh, definitely doable, you know. So, uh, so you make a lot of your gear for long range shooters. Um, right. You make suppressor covers. So my first question is this, I, and I have to ask this because you know being in a state like New York, suppressors just aren't something you even think about. What does a suppressor cover do? Because I I mean I know it, it has something to do with the heat, but you see a right. lot of guys who don't even put them on. So what is the why do you need one? Why do some guys not use them? You know, right. So it really depends on, on your applications. Uh, the big thing, you know, these things, suppressors will get sig crazy hot within just a couple of rounds, depending on, 
you know, caliber barrel length, suppressor material. Uh, so there's a lot of things that can go into that. So, I mean, inevitably, if you shoot suppressed, you're going to burn your hands at least once before you learn, like, to not touch <laughs> that thing. Because it is, I mean, and it's searing hot. It's not just like, ooh, that was warm to the touch. It's like, oh, I bumped it, and now I've got blisters. Wow. Uh, yeah. So, um, so it the covers are meant to protect the shooter, protect other gear around them. You know, you see a lot of uh, department where you were doing a lot with different law enforcement departments and their SWAT units who, when they're training and, you know, they're shooting some short carbine and they transition to a pistol and this thing swings down right between their legs and, and it can get pretty dicey pretty fast in areas that you don't want it to. Um, Yeah, I could see that. So, it also helps with like what the miraging it's called, right? When, when, correct. Heat, yeah. So, and that's where, when the long range stuff comes in, when you start shooting long range and you're looking through a scope with, you know, higher magnifications, you'll, that mirage will mm. inevitably. Yeah, the heat waves. Is that a better way to say it? I don't know. Miraging, yeah. I think it's the term, but. Well, heat waves, mirage, you know, a lot of people just call it mirage, but, um, you know, it's, it will obscure your, your, uh, view so bad that you, you won't be able to shoot past a couple hundred yards. So, um, you know, it's, it ha- it serves a couple different purposes, but those are the big ones and they just look cool. I think I they mean, do look cool. Yeah. yeah. So, so it's, you've mentioned earlier that, that they're your bread and butter. So yeah. let's put them off to, off to the side for a second. Cause obviously yeah. if that's your bread and butter, you're going to have a, an affinity for them. Aside from them, do you have a personal favorite product? Um, or one you're most proud of? Um, well, so yeah, the tricorn bag, our tricorn bag, um, is this three legged odd looking shape thing that was honestly a pain in the butt to make, uh, to develop because there's just so many different, uh, you know, facets and, and surfaces that we're trying to get all to meet up. Um, and, and the way how we're, we're making them, it's kind of cool to make, you know, it's a very complicated part to make. But because of how, you know, I put my engineering mind to it, it's, it's not that bad to make because of how the process that we've developed in, in cutting out the parts and marking the parts properly. So when people make these, it takes, it takes quite a bit of training still, but it's not as bad as, you know, if you were just to try to do this blind. Um, so yeah, that's, I mean, and what's crazy is, so this weird shape, this three-legged weird shape, like you sit there and throw it on top of a log pile and it like flattens right out and grabs right a hold of the log and you can set your rifle on it and, you know, and get this steady shot that you would have never imagined. You know, you flip it upside down and rest it in the crotch of one of those legs. And, you know, you know, you've got that used as a rear support, you know, what I, uh, what I think is really cool to kind of, and I, it's kind of like something that would go along with that or any other of your bags is I think you call it your backbone system, which right. is so cool. So Keith, I don't know if you saw it on their site. It's like a metal, it looks like a backbone and it goes on the bag and then it has like a, like a pick rail attachment that it'll attach to the rifle. So now your bag is actually part of your rifle. So if you move, it moves with you. That is right. very cool. Well, and in that kind of, uh, so the thing that I'm super proud about that is that's our first patent, uh, that's, that's actually been issued now that, 
was a, a fun process for me. And that was a personal goal of mine was to be a, you know, the sole inventor on a product that was patented. Um, and it, it was a goal for mine for a long time. Congratulations. Uh, so that, that was cool to get. Um, and then, uh, yeah, it's one of those things that came out of competition shooting where, you know, you have 10 different, uh, targets that you've got to engage in a two minute window with this 22 pound rifle that you're moving around trying to move as fast as you can. And, you know, before everyone was, you know, you pick up the rifle, pick up your bag, run to the next spot, set down the bag, set down the rifle and, you know, do that all over again. And you're on the, you know, you have two minutes to get this done. So, well, heck, I don't want to be carrying around this bag. And so I'm going to sit there and strap it right to my rifle and try to find a cool way to do that. So, you know, a lot of, a lot of our products are just, they come out because I go to the competitions and I shoot and I'm like, man, I wish I had something that did this. And then, you know, I, I literally like, I bring a notebook with me and I write down ideas. I sketch stuff out like right there on the spot because it's like, I, I, I get creative when I'm like frustrated that I don't have a way to, to, tackle something with a piece of gear and i know that's yeah that's the engineer in you yeah for sure why why haven't firearm manufacturers bundled kits with products like yours like and i i know i know i'm I'm not meaning i don't mean just the suppressor covers but you know you have like a lot of great things why why haven't they done partnerships i've I've asked that a couple times with a couple different people right we we definitely do work with uh a bunch of other manufacturers um the hard part, I think, especially with, so what we really do is focus on small niches that, um, are too, too small for foreign, you know, manufacturers to focus on. Um, but for us create a a great business for us. Um, and so, you know, suppressor covers, long competitive, long range shooting. They're so small that some of these big manufacturers, generally don't you know focus on those um and so uh you know i think that's that's a big thing is you know they're they're looking at at numbers you know volumes that are are well beyond what what we're doing or what you know what our market what our little niche is capable of you know they're trying to appeal to a whole broad set of consumers where you know we really focus on on those small, small little things that separate us from, you know, the big, uh, you know, I don't know, voodoo gear bag that you can buy at Walmart. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm like, actually, as, as you're talking, as we're having the conversation, I'm looking on your website, I'm looking at products and stuff. And one of the things I had found the other day when I was poking around, I I love that you do, uh, the canine collars. I think that's very cool. Yeah, um, with my the wife puppy and I are, program. Yeah, my it, wife and I are talking about getting a dog relatively soon. We have little kids, but we both miss having one. And I'm looking at that. I'm going, "There's the collar I'm getting." I think it's really cool. So I like that. <laughs> well, and, what's cool about it, you know, if you get a puppy, and I, I need to do a better job of advertising this, but we call it the puppy program, where you buy the collar once, and as the dog grows, you send it back to us, and just all you're paying is return shipping. We take and we harvest because we have this personalized name tag that goes on it. We engrave, you know, the dog's name, information, whatever you want on it. You basically fill out what you want on this. Right. We use a cobra buckle and all this other stuff. So we harvest all that old hardware out as the dog grows, and we remake it, and you just pay the shipping. And you know, we do that for the life of the the collar. And, and that's awesome. Yeah. So, um, you know, or if That's you cool. know, 
if we we've we've had one come back to us that got destroyed and i really i want to meet this dog because like <laughs> Uh, we, I've got, I've got two labs, and they are constantly wrestling and pulling on each other, and like, it's, and they use the collars as like their leverage point with each other, and so like these collars have been, and you know they're old now, they're old, and I, and I, I, you know they look kind of dirtyish just because they're multiple years old that have just been through black lab life, right. or you know lab life, and a uh, couple swims maybe. Oh my gosh. And not, and, and in swamps, like just yeah. gross swamps. Do they and wash so like, pretty nice? Like if you put them in oh, a yeah. washer with yeah. yeah. They, but like you can tell they're old, but they're not, they're not gross. And you know, the other day someone asked, well, why don't you just get a new one? I'm like, no, I'm, I'm trying to see where these things can go. Like yeah, I'll, wash exactly. it. I'll wash it and see what happens and, and keep going with it. And it's a challenge so, now. Yeah, exactly. So I'm waiting, you know, and that, you know, the materials that we're using, you know, the, they're tough. And it, and it, I think that's actually like, as far as durability testing, uh, for our products, like, man, those dogs are rough on stuff, but they, <laughs> they keep, they keep holding up and, you nice. know, and I, yeah. And that, and you know, those came out kind of the same thing that I just needed dog color. So one day at the shop, I whipped one out and I was like, Oh, that kind of looks cool. And you know, someone else said, Oh, make me one. And then after that, took pictures and put it on the website. Yeah, we're one of you the, were like, you, you were like, I've been through this before. Somebody asking me to make them one, right? <laughs> one of the things that you mentioned kind of briefly, but about the the guarantee of things, you live, you give a lifetime warranty, and everything is made in the U.S., which Keith and I love when we hear that. So, um, I just think that's you know the the small company and and supporting this kind of stuff is so so important. And Keith and I talk about that a lot on the show. Yep. Um, you know, and again, I'm, I'm poking around here in, in your store and I do want to do long range shooting someday and you guys have shooting mats, but you have a ton of bags and yeah. you have the boss bag, the cuddle bag, the tri bag, the flat bag. Can you explain, like just, you don't have to explain them all, but kind of what's the difference between all these? Right. Well, the big thing, um, you know, with them, when you start getting into long range shooting, there are tons of different obstacles that match directors or if you're just out hunting you know there's tons of different things that you're trying to shoot off of and you know depending on what you're trying to tackle uh you know different shapes different fills different um attachment methods can all make the difference in in those shots so you know uh we're, we're still trying to find that one bag to rule them all. Um, if you had to only choose, like if I was like, I'm going to buy one to start off, if I could yep. only buy one, what would you recommend? Tricorn for sure. Yeah. Uh, okay. Yeah. So uh, because it's, it's so versatile, both in the front and the rear, um, you know, I go to a lot of matches and, you know, that is my, my go-to staple. Um, it's a, it's a phenomenal bag for competitive long range shooting. Now, if you were going to go out hunting, I'd probably take the flat bag. Cause you know, you know, it's not quite as rushed and weights more of a concern. Um, so, you know, the, it depends on what you're doing, but if you're getting into competitive long range shooting, the, the tricorn bag is where it's at. That thing is, is, uh, pretty insane. So yeah. your, your wax canvas bags are beautiful. First yeah. Time. Um, well, any plans to make like range bags or gear bags or travel bags or anything oh, like yeah, that? Oh yeah, for sure. Um, I mean, that's, that's, we've got like, we've got a whole list of products that are, 
are ready to go. We've got there's there's some products that we've had uh, pattern we we that we have patterns are developed, pictures are taken, website is ready to go. All we have to do is click them on. We're waiting for capacity to keep up because we keep our current stuff just keeps growing so fast yeah. that just you know turning another item on right now um, is difficult and because. We are, you know, we are making everything in our shop here in New Hampshire. We're not outsourcing anything. Um, you know, training new sewers is a very time-consuming process, and it's it's a skill that isn't it's, really taught anymore. Yeah. It's dead. It's yep. you know, it's a dead skill. So you know, when people it, come in. Any job like that where you're working with your hands and you gotta, you know, manipulate a machine or anything like right. that. Right. Well, and that's it's and you know and what we talk about too is it's you know you talk about people talk about like hand eye coordination it's hand eye foot coordination because you're running a pedal you know so you're sitting there you're trying to line up all these things and run a pedal at the same time it's hard it's it's a hard skill but when you learn it it's a lot of fun and and it's something that you know i've really grown to uh you know this through this journey i've absolutely i love uh sewing and what's kind of funny i've figured out you know, as far as the mechanical person in me, what, what like gets me going and it's small, fine mechanical movements. So like, and that's why I love firearms. I like mm-hmm. all seeing how all these little parts and pieces all work in unison together, um, is just super fascinating to me. Uh, you know, sewing machines are th- the exact same. There's all these little tiny parts all working together to, to get stuff done. So I, like, it's kind of sad because there isn't, there isn't too many people in the world that I can start geeking out with about <laughs> sewing machines, but like they're pretty, you cool got to go to a special conference for that. Right? Well, that's where, I mean, you guys, you guys were talking about blue alpha gear a couple weeks ago. Yeah. And yeah. like, and like, so honestly, those guys, Kurt and Jesse have been, you know, they, we both started about the same time. And, uh, you know, what's, what's interesting is the sewing world, because at least, and especially the U S sewing side, like it's, that's very small and anybody who figures something out, like they keep that information to themselves. Right. So you kind of have to, there, there isn't a school, there isn't online classes to figure industrial heavy duty sewing. So like, but f- them and us, we've, you know, we've been buddies from the beginning. And so we, we constantly share information and talk with each other and like, and we geek out, we have, we will geek out about sewing machines together all the time because that's hilarious. Yeah. It's, it's funny. Dustin, so, you want to hear something? You, I'm sorry, Keith, one more thing and then yeah, yeah. I'll let you go. Um, you want to hear something interesting because you brought this up about uh, manufacturing years ago. I mean, we're talking probably seven years ago. I will yep. never forget this. I was in a doctor's office and I picked up a magazine. I think it was time magazine. And there was an article in there saying how the U.S. was perfectly positioned to have a renaissance in manufacturing. And the article went on to say how we've pushed college down kids' throats for so long. And I'm a product of that. I was like, my parents were like, you're going to college, you're going to college. And of course, I have a degree, a couple of them. And uh, it it really came true. You know, like now, like no one knows how to manufacture. And now if you want to manufacture in this country, you're you're set up to do so. And it's funny because my own children, I, I catch myself going, they got to go to college. They got to go to college, and I'm like, no, they don't. There's no, they they really don't. There's, they can manufacture if they're if they want to work with their hands, oh. if they want to create things. There is a there's room for that now. Oh, and there and is there ever? But um, 
and it's just uh it's crazy to see how much we rely on outside you know imported manufacturing and you know i think some of that is changing um but it's it's going to take an adjustment for everybody because uh you know what what we're what we're used to as consumers for pricing especially when it comes to sewn goods um it's we can't even come close with you know asian pricing when it comes yeah, with right with sewing and you know that what they can sell a finished good for on the shelf through distribution is less than what i can buy materials for how yeah. do you combat that though but well that's where we focus on our niches bring you know, down we, the ccp right <laughs> and, and and so we we just find smaller areas and 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 then the big thing we you were talking about earlier is well so one we really focus on quality and that attention to detail and then our customer service i mean we we have literally the most uh, liberal warranty policy you could ever imagine basically if you have any issue with it for whatever reason at any time we make it right i mean we we literally have had people have their items destroyed by dogs like their dog goes and chews it apart and shreds it and you know and they're like hey can you fix this and it's like no that thing's that thing's long gone from from being fixed but you know here's a new one um you know and so you know stuff like that you'll never get from no the 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 big outside outside the u.s manufacturers because i and i i get it you know i you know i realize like when someone buys something from us it's like they're making a very uh cognitive decision because it is more expensive uh you know and and it it, we're, we're not cheap and so when when you get that like there's there's a reason you go that and so you know we we appreciate our customers. We appreciate that they went through and made that decision, and we want to make sure that you know that they're that they're taken care of for the rest of their lives. And and you know, and we focus on on the lifetime relationship with a customer, and not just you know a single transaction. Um, so uh, mm-hmm. that's that's really what we focus on. And that's as we've been growing. That's what I've been stressing to my employees. You know, is you know, because I'm not the only one answering the phone or emails anymore. Uh, you know, if, if somebody calls up, just make it right. I don't care. And if policy, it's a good leader. Right. Right. And, 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 you know, what I always tell them too, is if you ever feel like, you know, you're not sure on what to do, just err on the side of, of helping out the customer. And if you go too far, we'll talk about it afterwards. And I'm not going to, I'm not going to be upset about it at all. Like we'll just recalibrate and it's not a big deal, but so far we've never had to have that conversation. Like, You know, it's just like something I say to people I manage all the time is, uh, you know, you guys are the rose, I'm the thorn. Right. You know, so you don't, you don't, you don't ever need to be the one to say no. If you think it should be a no, let me look at it and uh, we'll make a decision if it's a no from there. Yeah. And the other, the other thing, Dustin, Keith, we've talked about this on with many people on the show is that generally I, I bought a knife one time and it said something about like basically like, just don't be a jerk. Like if it breaks, right, yeah. just let it. And most people that are spending the kind of money that you know on, on an item that's like a handmade quality item, they're Will good be a people. Good, for honest the most people. Part. Yep. Yeah. Right. And they're exactly. they're not going to abuse it. They're going to be upfront. They're going to be honest. And that's you know. Yeah, I will say there's, you know, and I'm going to recommend this to anybody listening. If you're thinking about starting a company, uh, read the book Reinventing the Wheel, uh, and that's basically I 
completely copied his mindset when it came to customer service issues. And it's about a guy who, who built this bike empire in Connecticut. And it's a great book. Um, and, uh, his the the example that he always gives is he has he gives speeches now and he will in the beginning of the speech pass out this uh bowl full of quarters and he says take whatever you want pass it on to the next person and, and you know he passes it on and he's like you know a person will take one or two you know pass it on and he's been doing this for years now and he's waiting for that person to just take the the bowl of quarters and dump it into their bag <laughs> And it hasn't happened yet, yeah. you know, and, it, and what, you know, when, when you are generous and caring and, you know, and, and show true interest in, in people like they, they, they feel so guilt, they would feel so guilty if they took advantage of the situation that they just won't do it. Real you know? human interaction, right? That's right. What That's and, and, and so like, yeah. So, um, you know, we go over the top when it comes to that kind of stuff and, you know, and you know, if you're going to, if you're going to sit there and you know, try to, you know, do something to, to hose us or, you know, do something that's, I don't even know how you would, but like, you know, something that take advantage of us is probably a better word. Like, I don't really care because we've won so many other customers along the way that yeah. like, it, and it it's, not gonna la- it's not going to last long, you know. Right. It's so, also like that's why no one has a problem like returning something to Walmart and like they don't care. Like I, like, I don't care. I'll uh, bring something to Walmart and be like, oh, yeah, th- this doesn't work. Like I don't even care because do they care? Like they don't care about right. me. They have no – they just right. – you can't even find someone to help you at Walmart, you know. But with yeah, you, yeah. There's, a human, there's a human touch. Like, I never thought of it that way. But you're building a relationship with your customer and well, that right. goes a long way. Well, and that's uh, – you know, every piece of gear that comes out of here uh, – the last step that the employee does that that our sewers do is they they there's a tag that they stick through it and and they sign their name on it and we don't use that at all to you know track back problems because we have enough safety nets along the way that nothing bad gets out but it's one for the employee the sewer to know to be proud of their stuff like I'm putting my name on this looks good you know I'm signing my name on this and then two to build that relationship with the customer when they get it they can say Oh man, Linda made this. Oh, that's, you know, you know, like mm-hmm. you know, they know somebody named you know, Linda. It's just that personal kind of touch. And, you know, and if you order a couple things, you know, you might get a couple things made by Linda or, you know, Brooke or whoever. And so like, we're yeah, trying cool. to build that. Yeah. That re- personal relationship. Anyone send and, Linda or Brooke donuts? Uh, not yet. You know what? Uh, but we, you know, we do get emails and we have a whole board where, you know, when we get emails or messages or even, you know, Facebook posts where someone calls out an employee by name, That's cool. we print it out yeah. and post it up there and bring it up in our meetings. Yeah, and, um, but you know what? I think Linda loves Dunkin' Donuts. So anybody <laughs> so listening, yeah. <laughs> well, I want to, on that note, I want to ask something that's like, you know, so something we talk about it's a, it's it's maybe putting you on the spot a little bit here but yeah um we we talk a lot about being good advocates for the second amendment or yep. or you know how to help people preserve the second amendment and right what would you tell our listeners to be aware of to further that mission to be calm and compassionate when dealing with someone who especially is on the fence and learn. So basically, and, and learn when to engage and when not to engage, um, which I think uh, is a thing that is missing sometimes where, you know, there's a whole group of people that no matter what we tell them, will never be on our side. 
And we can sit there and do all the different, you know, gotcha quotes and bring up facts and logic and reason. And in the end, it's not going to matter. So with those people, like, honestly, don't even bother. Like, and I'm, I'm, I'm sure some people will probably give me flack for that, but like, we're not going to change them. So don't waste our effort on them. But where we really need to focus is the people in the middle who, you know, aren't really sure either way and, you know, bring them in, in a calm way and collect, you know, calm, collected thoughts where, you know what, these aren't scary items. This isn't a scary thing. These are fun, useful tools that have uses, not just for hunting, you know, but also for sport, for self-defense, um, you know, and, and try to, try to get to win them over that way. You know, a lot of times I, I feel like people will really jump to, you know, the yelling and the screaming in the, in the faces on both sides of the side that is unwinnable anyway. So in the end, like you're not getting anywhere. So don't it's, waste the effort. It's it great advice. Like you, Mike. Yeah, it's I was it's great advice because I have a friend who we bought heads on this and I know I'm never going to change his mind. And we do it more for like it's just fun to just Sport. debate, you know. Yeah, yeah. But but like in reality, I I I give up on those people. And not give up, but it's like I'm never going to change them. But you know what? Keith and I have focused on taking people both on both sides of the aisle by the way. Yeah. Um shooting and you know they wanted to try it or whatever and I this year alone I've taken four new shooters to the range. Two of them have bought. One is a young girl who I think someday will own a gun, I think. And one is someone on the other side of the aisle, and I think she really enjoyed it. So it was much more productive to go for the people, like you say, that are in the middle. So I think that's very, very good advice. You right. Know? And um, I, I think it's one that more people should. Yeah, uh, I mean, new, I, seeing, you know, anytime I've ever brought a new shooter out, seeing their face when they first hit oh. steel at 100 yards like they don't think they could do that, you know, and well, it's so easy, by the way, shout out to Ruger. We did that with a 1022, but yeah. <laughs> you know, it's, it's just so cool to see that on their face. Like, right. You know what I'm saying? Like you, you were there. Yeah, de- I definitely agree. So, well, and, and I will say for new shooters, shoot steel, shoot steel. Yeah. Because, it's instant gratification. Right. It's that instant gratification. And, you know, Everybody has this picture in their head of, you know, the sniper movie where they're shooting and all three rounds are touching each other. And, you know, when you, you know, it doesn't happen like that, but when you disappointing, right, right. When you can hit a plate, you know, a, a steel plate, you know, you know, instantly, okay, I hit the target and that's like, that's all that matters. And, and you're hooked after that. You just want to keep hearing it. And then what you need to do, and I know you guys can't do this yet, but like, Mm do it suppressed so you can really hear it because yeah, that's listen, we can't have suppressors in new york we might you know go mafia and just like start pulling people kill, killing people off quietly so it's just yeah. not well, allowed just, and, just, i and just move you're not that far away move from a state <laughs> or move to a state that allows it and you know and just leave new york behind well I, uh, obviously where you are is allows it. And, um, you know, I really, I, I, yeah, I'm, uh, I'm glad that you're making these products, you know, even though we can't have them, um, where can people find you online and social media? Give us, give us that info. Right. So, I mean, our website, uh, coltac.com is, has a whole bunch of, uh, different ways to reach us, either email or phone. And, you know, it's going to be, 
we we try to get back to people pretty quick when they're emailing, depending on how crazy it gets. Um, it it can take a, a day or two, but we generally try not to do that. Um, and then Facebook, you know, Coltac LLC, and on Instagram, where I try to do stuff every day uh, at Coltac. Um, you know, those are those are the the best ways. Um, yeah, I, I I have in the show notes all those links, and I even have a couple of the others. I have Twitter, and I have so if anyone's looking for you guys. Yeah. So listen, Dustin, we have a, a little tradition on this show, and I'd like to okay. include you in it. Okay. Uh, we, we play a game called Run and Gun. I'm going to okay. ask you 10 rapid-fire questions, and I want you to give me the first answer that comes to your mind. Oh, boy. All right, okay. so we're going we're gonna to run it, we're going to gun it, we're going to see how quick you can get through it. Okay. All right, here we go. Number one, what is your favorite gun in your personal collection? Uh, my Sig Rattler. What gun would you buy if money was no object? A uh, minigun. If you could have a drink with one person, living or dead, who would it be? Nikola Tesla. Favorite caliber? Forty-five seventy, of course. No question. Favorite hobby, not gun-related? Uh, hiking. If you could have one superpower, what would it be? Uh, seeing through walls. Yeah, buddy. Oh, <laughs> that was mine. Many, many, many moons ago, that was Keith. I think he had uh, some... Not so Lit. good reasons for it. We don't got to get into that. <laughs> oh. Okay. I just, yeah, uh, I got a all, reason for it. All hell breaks loose. Is it better to be armed or trained? Trained. Is it better to be loved or feared? Loved. Rifle, pistol, or shotgun? Rifle. You're in the worst scenario imaginable. Who do you want to have your back other than your spouse? Oh, man. Shane Bernier. And Shane, if you're listening, yes, you. <laughs> well, I have to say that might have been one of the most efficient running guns of that all time. That was very efficient. It was like, wow, like the engineer kicked in and you just like went to work. Yeah. It was very, very well done. So yeah, well done. Good job. And now, uh, why do you want to see through walls? Okay. So recently, uh, so I'm going to kind of let your listeners in on the, the future of Coltac here. You know, we, f- we focus on niches. So, you know, suppressors, long range shooting. The next one that we're getting into and we're really trying to develop stuff for is night vision. Oh, cool. Oh, cool. And I feel like, I feel like the little bit that I've been playing with night visions and thermals is it's like seeing through walls. Like there's this black yeah. wall in front of you and then you turn this thing on and it's like, I can see it. Like it doesn't matter anymore. So like, that's the next step is I just want to be able to, like I can see in the dark now, like darkness doesn't matter anymore. That's, That's cool. cool. So good let's reason. just yeah see through walls. That's a good reason. Very cool. Let's mix it up. All right. So today on Let's Mix It Up, we are going to do guns for dummies. All right. So we've all heard of the the for dummies books. Yep. And the other day I had uh, I was on a forum or some something that I participated on online with some kind of social media, and a guy asked a legitimate question. He said, "I have no experience with guns." I don't really, you know, know much about it. I want to get into it. What advice would you give? And the first thing that happened was people got on and acted stupid. Yeah. Move out of that state, blah, blah, blah. You know, they started they started just saying like really See, like And that's the guy in the middle that I was talking yeah. about. Yes. And these people are being jerks because yep. here's the guy in the middle and you're trying to like tell him all these like wisecrack answers and he doesn't know that they're that you're just messing with him. He Exactly. Right. So uh, I chime in. 
to you'll be proud of me here, Dustin. Good. I chime in. I said, first off, ignore the idiot idiot brigade. And I said, the this was what I said to him. I said, first, hone in on what kind of shooting you want to do. Yep. Sport, self-defense, you know, whatever. Uh, clays. Second piece of advice. I said, hone in on what kind of gun you want. There's going to be a bigger barrier to entry for pistols, so maybe rifle and shotgun would be easier. Third piece of advice Why I you gave. Say that? Hold on. Because uh, because if if there's a permitting process for some oh, place. Oh, oh, for some state. Okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. Sorry. Doesn't yeah. apply. We don't all live in a free state. Yeah, right. <laughs> we have uh, a king in over our state. Sorry. Yeah. And then uh, I said the next piece of advice I gave was to uh, have a friend or someone you know take you out shooting and, and help teach you how to be safe and then buy buy something that you feel fits you. But the problem with that is, what if the guy doesn't know anybody? What do we do then? So I, I want to throw this out to you guys and see. I, I think what I gave him was good advice, and he was thankful for it. But I never thought about someone who doesn't know anyone with guns. What do you yeah, think, go Keith? Go ahead. I, I went to, when we first started talking about uh, um, this idea of, of bringing this topic onto the show, The I saved this. I didn't talk about it with you, but I, I thought about, you know, what happened to BB guns? Like, couldn't we just tell someone, you know, hey, maybe, you know, go try a BB gun, get, you know, go out in your backyard, you know, sh shoot at some targets, get get used to that. And, you know, because it's, I, I found, you know, I found it hard when I was first getting into firearms to really differentiate between a rifle, a shotgun, or a, a pistol. Like, I know what they right. were, guys. Like, that's not what I mean. I just mean, you know, what what was what I would enjoy more. And right. I end, I have all three, and uh, I love shooting my shotgun right now about as much as I love shooting twenty twos. Yep. What do you think, Dustin? I mean, what do you think of what Keith said, and what are what are some of your points you'd make? So yeah, so I mean, if you don't know anybody with guns, and this is, I guess, this is a question that. You know, I've never really thought about, but like, I think the best bet there would be, you know, go see if there is even, you know, see if there's any classes or training courses where you can, you can sign up with and just get the basics that way. And hopefully in that class, you can then meet the person with guns yeah. and, and, and get that way because, you know, sometimes, uh, you know, depending on where you meet some people, you know, some of these public ranges can, you'll meet, you'll meet people with completely different goals and mindsets and it can be, you know, overwhelming or uh, intimidating. So, you know, if you go to just the basic entry level training course, yeah, you know, you can, you can uh, try to get stuff set up that way and you can you can scale it from you can scale it from there 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 are right. lots of uh there are lots of training courses that you can rent again anytime we want to learn something new right it, it's not a guarantee you're going to know someone in in what i didn't know anyone that did podcasting right but i wanted to learn right what did i do i went to the university of youtube yeah and i'm not and i'm not saying that you should like watch youtube videos and then run out and just you know go run and gun that's not what i'm saying but the more you immerse yourself in the culture you're going to pick up little tidbits. And then for I sure. think for, I think from there, I would feel comfortable saying to someone, listen, watch a bunch of stuff about guns for beginners on YouTube. Then go buy yourself a nice starter rifle or, you know, or a starter shotgun or whatever. And now that you have it, 
be safe with it. Don't go in your house and start loading it up, but just mm. have it. And now that you have it, now you can go to a class, a beginner class. You have your own firearm that you can become comfortable with that particular firearm. And I, I feel comfortable that a quality instructor is going to train you and make you comfortable. And, and you know, from there you can kind of grow. But I don't think there's anything wrong with YouTube as a starting point. For sure not. I, I, I So YouTube, I would say is like my secret to success when it comes to most problems that I face. Like the amount of information you can get on YouTube is huge. And it's mind boggling. It's crazy. Right. Like it, we were just joking about it today. We have, so our pattern tackers that we have here are made by brother and um, you know, they make some awesome machines and there's the older machines in order to load a program on there is it's, it's a really weird and complicated process. And I go to the same YouTube video where it's a guy, he's speaking in some, I think it's Indian language, but it's, it's not English, but all I'm doing is following how he's pressing the buttons. And like from there, I can figure out, oh yeah, that I got to press this button first, then double press this button within three seconds. And then it opens up the menu to where I can load programs like I need to. Um, so like weird stuff like that, like you can find anything on YouTube. Now with the gun world, there is some, some bad information. So you kind of have to, sure. you know, I would say don't focus on any one person on YouTube. Right. I would focus, you know, or look at a bunch of different people and kind of filter out, you know, what, what makes sense and what just doesn't smell right. And, and you'll do that the more time you spend on there. It's really, it really is for, for someone who doesn't have anyone that, they know that has guns. It, it is intimidating. I mean, we've yeah, oh, talked definitely. about this a few times, Mike. You know, we've all walked into that gun shop that just is intimidating. That right. is just not, and it's it's hard to tell which ones are welcoming and which one aren't. I do not consider myself a gun expert per se, but I walked into a gun shop recently. Uh, you know, I won't name the name. I've been searching for um, a trap shotgun for my wife. I She's come out with me and I'm tired of her using my shotgun. So it's time for her to get her own. And um, I I walked in and I, I was very specific about what I wanted. I said, hey, I, I'm, I'm looking for a, a shotgun set up for trap. And the first guy that I walked in looked at me like I had six heads. And uh, there was another guy in the corner that was dressed real nice. And then he decided that he wanted to help me. But it was like it was like I was. They had an amazing stock, Mike. I think I shared with you. Their stock was crazy. I couldn't believe the inventory that they had. It was the most inventory I'd seen in the gun store in a long time. Hmm. And it literally, I was. I thought I was going to have something. I was like, oh man, this guy's got everything. I, they're going to have a gun. And um, I just was shocked at the way that even me, someone who does feel somewhat comfortable walking into any of these gun stores, and was specific about what I was looking for, I got the third degree. <laughs> right that's crazy oh, yeah and and you know and that's where we really need to as people who are in the industry or in you know or just gun people need to realize like people who are trying to get into this for the first time it's super scary because of the the mindset that the world has placed on our industry yeah. and our and our hobby you know what like at any moment these things are going to jump out and you know, and kill you, you know, that's, that's what, if you're not into this, that's what, that's what the message that basically is being sent to you. So we need to be aware that that's what's being said 
and and being mm-hmm. taught and and uh, try to help those people out. Yeah, I mean, I'm gonna I'm I'm, I'm gonna close this segment out, but I'm gonna end it with this. I'm gonna kind of sum up what we were talk- well talked about, and that is that if you are new and you can find someone that can take you out that you trust, that's what you should do. For sure. If if you can't, if that if you're that person or you don't feel comfortable, maybe someone you know someone, but you don't feel comfortable with them for whatever reason. You know, I think YouTube is a good resource, but ultimately yep. at some point you need to, no pun intended, you need to pull the trigger, you need to purchase, and then you need to go and take a training course because yep. it's worth it with a with an object that could be dangerous to make sure that you are safe. And if you spend $100 on a class, it's the best $100 you'll ever spend as long as it makes you safe, right? I agree. Well, I think it's time for the boys to sit around and shoot the shit. All right, so today on Shooting the Shit, we are going to uh, just kind of poke around with a fun little topic here, and here is the question. If you could be the absolute best in the world, okay. so, so A-lister, we're talking the primo, right? Okay. At one of these, which would you choose and what's your rationale? So the first, you could choose any one of these, Okay. Prof- professional athlete, actor, musician or you know head of a band artist or writer and dustin you're the yes i'll let you go first writer really okay now why is that because i can do it with no one else around me mm-hmm. i want to be in a cabin in the middle of nowhere and not have to like i can i can be sitting on that little house on the side of the mountaintop overlooking 40 miles of nothingness and doing my craft Wow. Very cool. So I'm going to go next, Keith. I'll let you uh, pick up the rear on this one. I struggle with this uh, because there's two for me. I'm I'm happy you're letting me be the last. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) So for me, um, I've thought about it. It would definitely be either professional athlete, actor, or musician. But I think a musician's is like on the road, away from their family, like just a hard life. Like I I look at Mick Jagger and I'm like, I just don't want to be Mick Jagger, you know? So that one's out. And then I look at professional athlete and actor and I look at like, let's say like a Michael Jordan or Muhammad Ali, and it must be nice to be the person like that you're the top in the world. Everyone knows who you are, but they have a short window to be that person. And when they retire, it must be hard to give that life up. Uh, Maybe, maybe they want to, right? Jordan has said he got tired of being constantly around people. Is it really that hard to be Michael Jordan? Even after, like, I mean, I, I tell you one thing: I don't think I could play golf with him. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> but I think for me, I think it would be actor. And the reason why is I feel like actors they can do it forever. Like you could yep. be an actor till you're 80, and yep. I think that like you never really lose that. Like you, if you're a good actor, you're always a good actor. You're always respected, and you never yep. really fully leave the limelight. You're kind of always there. I I, I would agree with that. That's so my rationale. Actor, I mean, it is. I think actor. Yeah. What about you, Keith? I got to say professional athlete for the exact reason why you didn't choose professional athlete. I would want to be an A-lister for a period of time, and then I would want to walk off into the sunset. And there are lots of professional athletes that go on, and they have a whole second real-life human career after they're professional athletes, and nobody right, even yeah. knows. Yeah. So it's this, you get you get to still be a human being, but you get to have the A-list, you know. Uh, That's fair. You kind of got me. You kind of had me uh, changing my mind, maybe. But well, <laughs> it's a I good. It's a good point. Yeah. I um the, the the part I would be like hard. Like I think like Derek Jeter. 
like it had to be hard for him to just walk away and like he he never gets he, to be in pinstripes again. That has to be. Hard, I don't. Right? I don't think so. I think Derek Jeter is loving life. Honestly, you think? Like right? I yeah, think Derek Jeter is pretty good. You know. Well, that's I saw. You know, and I don't know how true it is, but there was a whole list of like uh, Tony Hawk. I guess now is like has a whole list of things that have happened to him, where like people know who he is, but. Like don't. they don't know who he is. So like yeah. he'll be going through TSA and someone's like, Oh, Tony Hawk, you know, and they see his name on the, on his ID, but they don't re they don't actually, they're like, Oh man, isn't that guy like really good at skating or something? He's like, you know, yeah, I, <laughs> yeah. I've heard something like that. And like, so like, the, you know, they, they've heard the name and, but they look at him and they don't connect like he's that guy. And so like, there's a whole, I, I, it's a funny list of scenarios that, like supposedly he's actually gone through where people, you know, uh, they know who he is, but they don't know him. Yeah. That's and, a good point. Cause even like Derek Jeter, like we would all know him, but like the next generation, my son's not going to know him. If my son right. ran into him, no he's not going to have any clue. I no totally way. disagree. I totally disagree. You think? If your son is a baseball fan and he's a Yankee fan, there is no way yeah. he's not going to know who Derek Jeter is. Yeah. No I mean, way. under those circumstances of being a Yankee fan and being a baseball fan, but the average right. person, I'm saying. I, yeah. But I, okay, that's maybe fair. But I, I don't, I don't, I think if, if your kid is into sports, they're going to know an athlete, they're know a professional athlete. Well, but and if they the were an A lister, if they were right, A list, that's the question is, a lister, so it's Correct. not like you're some middle of the road guy. You're yeah. you're the yeah. the top. That's so. true. Muhammad Ali never was not Muhammad Ali. Like everyone right. knew him yeah, for the yeah, rest yeah. of his life, right. right? Right. Yeah, that's fair. All right. Well, I want to thank you, Dustin. I mean, like this uh, this was a really great conversation, and I I really enjoyed learning uh, about your company. I mean, I think what you said about making quality products and trying to compete with the Asian market. I, I think you really fit into what Keith and I have been talking about on a lot of our episodes. Uh, and I love the customer service perspective. That's Yeah, I, I really, it's a pleasure to to talk to someone like you who is out there going after it and, and making quality products. So I, I just want to thank you for being on the show and for making great products and having a great business philosophy. And it's, uh, it's, it's really nice. So thank you for being on the show. Oh, thanks for having me anytime. Yeah, and I, I have all uh, anyone out there listening. I have all their links um, in the show notes. Go check them out. You know, if you want quality products, you know where to go. Everyone listening out there, we want to thank you again for taking time out of your day to listen to our show. Uh, as always, you can find links in the show notes to all of our social media. So be sure to follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter, so we can keep the conversation going. Guys, thank you so much. Have a great night.